Hi, welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I am your host. Here on The Connected Generation, we explore all things legacy wealth and legacy businesses. How you can build businesses and wealth that would outlive the founder and have sustained impact across generations and also over space. And we have these conversations with genuine curiosity, authenticity, and vulnerability. This week, again, there's no guest, it's just me. And honestly, I've been looking forward to this chat to carry on our discussion on lifetime to legacy. And if you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, to bring you up to speed, I authored a book called Lifetime to Legacy that was released on the 21st of June. And what is it about? Essentially, it explores how you can take your business from a lifetime business to a legacy business. And I would recommend that you listen to episode 121, where I spoke on why I wrote the book. And I also unveiled the keys to taking your business from lifetime to legacy. And it's available for sale on Amazon right now. The link is in the show notes and it's available for worldwide delivery folks on Amazon. So even those in Africa, you can order it from there. So I got you. I'm a Yoruba lady and in Yoruba tradition, we have a saying that is called Esheano, which essentially means thank you for yesterday. So growing up, for instance, if I had a birthday party and I received gifts, the following day, my mom would impress it upon me to call every single guest and every family member to say, thank you for yesterday. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the sacrifice. And I appreciate you. And so taking stock of what has happened, being grateful and expressing gratitude is core to our culture. So the Yoruba in me can't help but take stock of what has happened over the last month, be grateful and express my gratitude to you all for the last few weeks. Um, One day I'll share the backstory of this book of the triumphs (laughs) of getting to where we got to. But let's just say that pushing this thing out was really tough. And I was starting to question whether I should actually bring it out into the world. And since delivering this baby, your positive feedback, your support, your encouragement and your excitement has been completely out of this world and has been a confirmation that I made the right decision. You guys are amazing. So once again, thank you. I would love... If you could share with me your thoughts, your comments and your feedback. And you can email me on na at nikeanani.com or you can share your thoughts on the many social media platforms I'm on. (laughs) I'm on everything but TikTok. So I'm on LinkedIn and then I'm so I'm most active on LinkedIn, followed by Instagram, followed by Twitter and then Facebook. So I'd love to hear from you. I really do love hearing from you. So as I promised, today we'll be unpacking Africa. (laughs) You know, I'm a mom and myself and my husband were raising two young boys. And 
never do I ever want them to be ashamed of their culture. Instead, we really want them to draw strength from their heritage and their culture and add value to the world. We never want them to play small, to dim their lights or to question themselves because of their demography. Instead, we really want them to understand the richness of their history their culture and their values and draw strength from that. And today we'll be unpacking a little bit of that and what are the nuances and what really distinguishes Africa from her um, counterparts. So Africa is the largest continent in landmass and has over 1.3 billion people. And there's a lot of diversity, over 3,000 ethnic groups and 2,000 languages. And The complexity of this cultural diversity means that one must be very culturally sensitive. And the first thing that I think is important for us to embrace is the uniqueness of our history. And, you know, what's really interesting is that growing up, I didn't really like history. In fact, I hated it. (laughs) I, um, I thought it was irrelevant. I thought it was boring. I didn't really understand how like learning about the Battle of Hastings in 1066 affected me in 2020, right? Um, at A-level, I actually studied 20th century history because I felt that was a little bit more relevant. I could see why learning about the 20th century when I'm in the 21st century is relevant, right? And today I look back at younger Nikkei and I'm like, girl, if only you knew. I believe now that our individual and our collective histories are perhaps one of the most important foundations we have as people. And this really is because I believe history passes down a narrative, whether these narratives are passed down by design or by default. And you know, it's interesting. It's not just about historical facts. X happened on said dates, but about the meaning of events, what that means to you, i.e. the subjective reality, right? Because often with history, we were not there. (laughs) We're going by secondary sources and information, and we end up importing other people's subjective narratives quite often. So I believe it's important for us to firstly learn what are these narratives, investigate and ask the question, whose narrative is this? And what do they stand by pushing this agenda? Is this reflective of the truth? Is this an empowering narrative? And that's why I believe that history is so critical. So Africa had key events in her history, namely the transatlantic slave trade and colonialism that really affected her till today, her society, her economy and her political landscape. A result of that was that 53 of the 54 countries were at one point colonised by European powers that stripped them of political um, autonomy and really were a foundation for economic exploitation. And these powers took different approaches, right, had different cultures, so to speak, resulting in great diversity today when we look at, for instance, former British colonies like Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, Tanzania, and compare them to former French colonies, for instance. Another element of our history is religious influences, and traditional African religions were polytheistic, big word, basically believed in many gods. And 
in addition, tended to rely very heavily on oral tradition and oral practices and oral history. So there were no written texts. Instead, what there were were spiritual leaders, priests, priestesses, healers that were deemed to have a strong connection with deities and served as intermediaries between God and people. And another feature of African religion is that life isn't cyclical, it's linear. So the dead are believed to be alive in a different realm. And that's why quite often till today, folks have an aversion to acknowledge and talk about death, which is a huge topic naturally in succession planning, family business planning. We have to acknowledge the inevitable, right? Um, And how do we do that when there's such an aversion? And Another feature of ancient kind of African culture was that polygamy was very widespread. And so, yeah, now flash forward to the entrance of um, Islam and Christianity and the key differences between them and our ancient religions are they were monotheistic. Basically, there was only one God, right? They relied heavily on religious text and Christianity in particular did not allow for polygamy. So polygamy, when we flash forward to today, is something that we still see a lot of, even amongst those from Christian homes. Um, the uh, We don't tend to see as much polyandry, right, which is wives marrying multiple husbands, but we do tend to see husbands with multiple wives, Right. So it's really important to just understand the cultural and the historical context for that. And another key part of our history that I think is so important to learn and to gain understanding over is gender relations. So Africa was um, an agrarian economy, was sparsely populated and was large in size. And the ability to rear children and give birth to children was really There was a premium on that in society. So women were respected and we tended to see a lot of gender equity and largely a matriarchal system. So interesting in that in the Yoruba Council of Elders, there were specific seats reserved for women. And this Council of Elders governed um, communities, right? The chiefs and things. There were specific seats reserved for women that could not be occupied by men the Erelu, the Yalode, the Iyaloja, and there were also male gods and female gods. So male gods like Shango, but also female gods like Yemoja. So women really um, were really respected and they played huge roles in their communities, rallying the grassroots to political activism and also were very prominent in the marketplace. But this matriarchy was severely weakened as a result of colonialism. And I think it's really important to understand this history, as I said, and I touch on this in more depth in the book, but I'd also encourage you to learn more and just read more on this topic. A really fabulous resource is the Wheeler Institute for Business Development out of London Business School. They have a YouTube channel. They did an extensive series on history in Africa a couple of months ago, looking at African history through the lens of economics. I'll leave a link in the show notes so you can check that out.
And I don't want to make this all about history. <laughs> Let's get on to the other nuances um, that we see on the continent. And the second one is commun. Oh, what's wrong with me? Kinship and communality. <laughs> I read a quote that stuck with me that says that in Africa, the individual is like a community culture bearer. And I think that's so true and really resonates because if we think about it, Western culture promotes independence and individualism, whereas African culture really promotes interdependence and this collective humanity. And it stems from village economics and, you know, village organization of people that really promoted skill sharing, resource sharing for the welfare of the entire community. And so social philosophies like Ubuntu, I am because you are, really promotes interdependence amongst ourselves and high levels of communal thinking. We see this with high levels of giving on the continent. Our philanthropic activities are not necessarily reserved only for formal foundations, but they often happen on a micro level, on an individual level, and almost on a daily basis, right? So much so that I've come across a number of family businesses that will put extended family members, members of their communities, of their tribe, of their kin, on their payroll to ensure that these folks receive money on a monthly or a bi-monthly basis. And these are not necessarily employees of the business, but to support them. And they will often sponsor other people's education, hospital bills, etc. And so I often say that this communal thinking that we have, it means that there's a consciousness that's ingrained in the hearts of most to support those that are at risk of being left behind. The orphaned, the widowed, the elderly, the unemployed, the poorly, um, the lower income. And what does this mean for a family business owner? It means that one is conscious of the wider stakeholders and considers them when making business decisions. So they may resist laying off staff to protect profit margin because of other social considerations and really is, in my view, an a great example of stakeholder capitalism and social entrepreneurship. Another thing that really distinguishes us on the continent is that we tend to have a lot of elder reverence, where those that are older are to be given respect. And this feature of our culture means that elders are deemed as wise and are honoured. And it allows for a lot of transfer of knowledge and wisdom from the older generation to the younger generation. But the downside of this is that elders' decisions are to go unquestioned and can lead to the potential stifling of the younger generation, who are a very outspoken and opinionated bunch, right? I was talking to a friend the other day about how I really believe in the importance of the sovereignty of our voices and how the millennial and Gen Z generations seem to have woken up to this. For whatever reason, we are a generation that we will leave spaces and places where we feel that our voices are not honoured, where that sovereignty is not respected, right? So, this reverence of elders and family enterprises can lead to a lot of disengagement from the next generation if they don't feel that their opinions are valued 
and that they can contribute and make an impact in the family enterprise. Lastly, another thing that distinguishes Africa is that the business landscape in which families are operating is tough. (laughs) I remember having a conversation with a business founder a few years ago and he was saying to me that all this generational stuff you're talking about is nice but Nikkei I don't know what government will do next week talk less of what will happen in 30 years and that hit me like a ton of bricks the landscape is quite dynamic both economically and politically let's say exchange rates inflation, interest rates, change, drastic changes in policies and regulation, as well as high level of political risk. It can be quite extreme and quite can make it quite difficult to plan as business owners. But I think it really points to the importance of diversification. And a lot of the families that I have the privilege to serve, I've noticed that they tend to have They tend to have multiple operating businesses and investments to shield themselves from this intrinsic risk. Oh, wow. Where has all the time gone? (laughs) I've literally just spent the last um, minutes doing a whistle stop of chapter 13 in the book and which speaks to the overview of the nuances on the African continent. But you also want to check out chapter 14, where I unpack our natural advantages in the areas of our resiliency. Um, Also, we practice a lot of natural governance in our families, in the area of intergenerational bridges and storytelling. So you want to check it out. On our next conversation, our next solo conversation, I'll be talking about a, a common hop topic, something that... A lot of the time I'm approached by next gens who literally, I can see them wanting to pull their hair out. Like, (laughs) my parents will not let go of their business. You know, why is it so hard for founders to let go? And tips on how we can help them through that transition. And as always, please follow the podcast, leave a review on Spotify or iTunes or Google Play, wherever you listen and share this episode with a friend that is keen on learning how to build legacy business and wealth. Thank you so much and God bless you.